Can you catch? Will you hold the ball? When you step to the plate, will you swing and fall? If you play, you gotta know how it's done. Can you catch? Can you hold a hard one? Welcome back to Ground Rule Triple Radio, everybody. We decided to postpone our third episode as life's gotten a little busy over the past few weeks. But we're back, and we've got twice the stuff to talk about. I'm Big D, your, uh, your host, and joining me this time is Ground Rule Triple's all-around expert, Lil Vizi. Hey, everyone. It's me, Lil Vizi. I'm so glad to be back on the air for our third podcast with Big D this week. In this episode, we'll be talking about the MLB highlights and lowlights so far this season. After that, we'll tackle the spike and PED suspensions in 2016. So first up, we're going to talk about Trevor's story. Uh, I wrote a post about this about maybe a month ago. Nobody really looked at it, but it is what it is. Anyways, Trevor's story wrote himself into the record books just three games into his major league career. He became the first player in modern Major League Baseball history to hit at least one home run in each of his first three games. At the time of this recording, May 23rd, Story is tied for sixth on the 2016 home run charts. All right, who do you have up for us uh, next, Little DC? Uh, Kenta Maeda. The 28-year-old Japanese pitcher has had a tre- tremendous start to his Major League career. 
The Dodgers knew that they'd be getting a stellar pitcher when they signed him in the offseason to offset the loss of Zach Greinke, but perhaps they weren't expecting Maeda to adjust to major league hitters so quickly. Back in Japan's Nippon Professional Baseball League, Maeda was a five-time All-Star, three-time Best Nine Award recipient, which is an award that's given to the best player at each position following the season, five-time Golden Glove Award recipient, and two-time IG Samawara, which is the equivalent to our Cy Young. So Maeda has definitely received his fair share of success prior to the MLB. This year with the Dodgers, Maeda has masterfully replaced Greinke in the rotation to the point where Maeda has pitched better than with the Dodgers than the Greinke has with this new ball club this year. Maeda is 3-3 with a 3.29 ERA and 52 innings pitched. He has also struck out 48 batters and a whip of 1.077. Maeda will no doubt regress throughout the rest of the season, but he's doing everything he can to help a Dodgers team that sits in the middle of the NFL, NL West race this year. So, who's next, Big D? Uh, next up we have Carlos Carrasco hitting the DL. During a start against Detroit on April 24th, Cleveland Indians' Carlos Carrasco suffered a hamstring strain on his left leg while attempting to cover first base on a play. Initially, initially, the injury looked a lot worse than it actually happened to be, even as Tigers fans cringed. So both Cleveland and fantasy owners were slightly relieved to hear that he would only miss six to eight weeks. 2016 started out to be a pretty decent year for Carrasco, his fourth in the big leagues. Sitting at 2-0 after four games started, he currently has a 2.45 ERA with 22 innings pitched. If fantasy owners are patient enough to hold on to Carrasco, there may be little doubt that they will be rewarded when he returns to Cleveland's rotation. And here's an update on his injury. He seems to be healing well and felt good after a 40-pitch bullpen session, uh, and he's scheduled to throw a sim game today so who's next uh jake arietta obviously as most of you all know he threw a no hitter recently and the reigning cy young champion is showing no signs of giving up that crown so far this season he has eight wins no losses and nine games started with a 1.29 era through 63 innings pitched. batters are still having a hard time figuring out arietta the dominant pitcher threw his second on the 21st of April, destroying the Reds 16 runs to nothing. The victory was the second largest in history for a no-hitter, with the top record set in, 19, in 1884. Arietta had a lot of help from the Cubs offense, including Chris Bryant's two home runs, one of those being a grand slam. Arietta even helped himself out a bit, hitting two singles, drawing a walk, and scoring a run. Cincinnati isn't the best team in the world, but whenever somebody can throw a no-hitter against a major league team, that's still pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Who's next? Alright, next up, A.J. Pollock. A.J. Pollock was undeniably a major part of the D-backs team last year and was a breakout star. Arizona truly believed that they had a strong core featuring Goldschmidt and Pollock and other solid pieces such as Yasmani Thomas and David Peralta. This prompted GM David Stewart to go out and make some moves to improve the team's biggest weaknesses, the starting rotation. They believed that they did just that when they parted with former number one pick Dansby, Sp- Dansby Swanson and Ender Encarciarte for Shelby Miller and dished out $200 million to former Cy Young Zach Greinke. But both pitchers have struggled early this year. The struggles of Miller and Greinke, coupled with the loss of Pollock for the season, are major factors for the D-backs' current standing. 
last place in the NL West at or no, I don't think they're last place anymore. But they're at 17 and 23, but only uh, five games behind first place Giants. The breakout performance of Juan Segura has definitely helped uh, helped thus far, but they'll need major contributions from Segura, Brandon Jury, Thomas, and others if they want to keep up in the NL West. And they've gotten that just that because recently they've bumped their record up to 21 and 25, but they're still only six games behind, hmm. so they'll still need big contributions from those players. All right, thanks for the update. I had bad information on here, so all right, who do we have up next? Well, the Angels lost a pair of their pair of pitchers into their rotation, Garrett Richards and Andrew Heaney. Hopefully all of you read a recent article of mine describing the effects of the Angels' devastating news, so none of this will be a news to you. But on May 6th, the Angels announced that their opening day starter, Garrett Richards, will require Tommy John surgery. To make matters worse, another starter, Andrew Heaney, might be headed in the same direction, but for now will attempt to rehab the same injury. Same with, uh, just like Andrew Heaney, Richards will also attempt to avoid Tommy John for now and take the rehab route. The Angels' pitching depth has vanished, and they're only left with four arms right now. Weaver, Schumacher, Sontag, and Tropiano, which is part of the reason that they signed uh, former Cy Young, Tim Lincecum. Simply put, that is not a rotation that can compete with the Rangers or Mariners in the AL West this year. The Angels' hopes of reaching the postseason are all but over, bearing a historic run. They'll have to overcome a bevy of injuries, and it's sad to think that they've, le- they've let another year of Mike Trout's prime go to waste. In fact, some are questioning whether the Angels should go to full-on sell mode, as in trade Mike Trout. That is something GM Epler firmly swatted aside, but the f- idea isn't far-fetched, at least considering trading some of the other valuable pieces on the Angels. All right. Uh, next up, we have Kyle Schwarber. On April 9th, the Cubs announced that last year's rookie, Phenom, Kyle Schwarber had fully torn his UCL and ACL and would miss the rest of the regular season. This was devastating news for a Cubs team that many predicted would win the World Series this year. Last year, Schwarber hit 19 home runs and drove in 43 in 69 games while playing catcher and left field. He was expected to be a major presence presence in the young Cubs lineup that also featured 2015 Rookie of the Year Chris Bryant and All-Star Anthony Rizzo. Somehow, someway, the Cubs haven't missed a beat with a loss of Schwarber. In fact, they're outscoring their opponents at a historic rate. The Cubs currently sit at 29-13, and 13, best in the NL, and uh, I think they're probably over the, 100, the plus 100 mark in outscoring their opponents this year. That figure is the best since 1939. Just, I mean, think about that for a second. Not a single team in any year has crushed their opponents like the Chicago Cubs are doing this year in more than 75 years. And all of this is without Schwarber. Yes, impressive indeed. Now we can go look at Mad Max. Max Scherzer last Wednesday featured a truly terrific matchup. AL Pitcher of the Month for April, Jordan Zimmerman versus former Cy Young winner Max Scherzer. This marked the return of Jordan. Arguably the best pitcher in Nationals history to DC and played against his former team for the first time. On the other side, Scherzer was in a game that was so that was sure to spark some emotions. It might not have looked like a close game with Scherzer absolutely obliterating the Tigers lineup, making silly, but it was a close game to the last batter. Scherzer's Nationals may have gotten on the board first in the first inning, but one of Scherzer's only blemish came in the few innings later against former teammate Jose Iglesias, who smashed his first home run of the season to tie the ball game up at one apiece. Later, the Nationals will get two more, and it was down to the top of the ninth. The Nationals up 3-1, and 
and Scherzer having 18 strikeouts, two away from tying the record, and three away from creating a new one. The first pitch of the inning was to J.D. Martinez, who smacked a home run to bring the game to 3-2. After striking out Miguel Cabrera, Max surrendered a single to Victor Martinez, his third of the night and the only Tiger to not strike out against Max. With the tying run at first with one out, Scherzer struck out Justin Upton and later got a game-ending ground out from James McCann to end the ballgame. Scherzer's 20-strikeout game was just the fifth in history, and interestingly, Tigers manager Brad Osmus has been on the losing side in three of those. Yeah, that was definitely an uh, uh, outstanding game from Scherzer. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the April award winners and, you know, just their stats in April, you know, kind of just looking at why they won. Uh, Bryce Harper won the NL Player of the Month as he looks to defend his MVP crown. Uh, Harper started uh, the 2016 season off with a bang as he named the th- as he was named the top player after a month into the season in the NL. Harper hit a slash of 286, 406, and 714, MLB leading 24 RBIs and nine home runs. In the AL, Machado was a player of the month. The third base phenom, who is now playing shortstop for the AL Orioles. It's often not included in the group of best young stars in the game, but it won't be long before Machado adds some serious hardware like the AL MVP, MVP to his resume. He batted 344-394-667 on the month of April with 10 doubles, 7 homers, 16 RBIs, and the AL leading 33 base hits. That's pretty good. Uh, we've already talked about Arietta, but he, hit, uh, he was the NL Pitcher of the Month. And next up we have uh, Zimmerman. Uh, he was the AL Pitcher of the Month in his first season in the junior circuit. Zimmerman had an unbelievable start to his Tigers tenure as he received his first recognition over division rival Chris Sale. AL Best 5-0, MLB Best uh, 0.55 ERA, 23 strikeouts, 10th in the AL, and 33 innings pitch, 2nd in the AL. That might be a little outdated, but, well, no, I'm sorry. That was the April facts. Those were the April stats, so, yeah, they're not outdated. In the NL for the Rookie of the Month, Trevor Story, as we mentioned before, absolutely obliterated opposing pitchers and as he won his first piece of hardware. In the AL, uh, Nomar Mazzara, one of the top prospects in the majors, when he was called up, uh, he replaced Shinsu Chu, who hit the disabled list, and Mazzara has made the most of the call-up, forcing the Rangers to make a tough decision on who to send down once Chu returned. So, in April, Mazzara hit 333 with two homers, two doubles, seven RBIs in his first 17 games of his career. Very impressive. Very impressive indeed. All right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll see you guys on the other side of the podcast. listening ground rule triple radio you can find us on itunes and google play music not play music not google music it's google play music if this is the first time checking out a podcast from ground rule triple you can find more insight from myself and my partner on ground triple.com 
We cover diverse topics from trade alerts to award predictions. When you go on the site, be sure to subscribe to become a GRT MVP to receive a weekly newsletter as well as a guide to fancy baseball greatness. You can subscribe by clicking on the big button on the right side of the site. That's all we have here. We hope you enjoy the rest of the show. We're back on Ground Rule Triple Radio as we dive into our second subject. Performance-enhancing drugs, also known as PEDs, have been found to be used by a few good players this year. The history of PEDs may be beyond the scope of this segment, but here's a list of the players suspended so far this year. Henry Meia, who became the first player to be suspended for life after his third PED offense. Abraham Almonte. Uh, Daniel Stump. Chris Colabello, D. Gordon, Josh Raven, and Raul Mondesi. All of the players mentioned, with the exception of, with the exception of Meia and Mondesi, received a suspension of 80 games, with eight players banned before the MLB could finish the first 40 days of the 2016 season. This has come to be a pretty big topic. In 2015, six players were suspended in total over the course of the whole season. Do you have any thoughts about this, Little Levisi? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen a spike in PD suspension this year, but there are more to come, unfortunately. On May 4th, it was reported that MLB was set to suspend another player for using the banned substance of Turinabal. Mondesi was suspended in the coming days, but that was a different substance by the name of Clint Buterol. It is sad to think that so many players continue to attempt, attempt to play the great game of baseball unfairly. Several players have spoken how the procedure should be improved and that there needs to be harsher penalties. Justin Verlander of the Tigers firmly stated his belief that it should be a one-and-done in regards to testing positive for a banned substance as it tarnishes the game. What are your thoughts about the length of, of, of the suspensions? Um, I don't think it should be a one-and-done as Verlander stated necessarily because in some cases it really isn't intentional, such as that in Raul Mondesi's case, thus why his suspension was re- reduced from 80 to 50 games as he provided proof. They are still responsible for what they put in their bodies, however. A first-time offense of 80 games I think really is reasonable, and the three strikes are out is also more than fair. If a player gets suspended more than once, it really is a shame. That means the first suspension wasn't harsh enough to teach them a lesson. We've seen teams giving out millions to players to have, who have been suspended in the past, so it's not exactly deterring teams as well. So in that regard, I wouldn't mind a harsher punishment, but this suspension topic is really a slippery slope. Anything to add, Big D? I mean, I agree with you here, little VC. If players aren't learning their lesson, then they deserve to have greater punishment. Uh, Major League Baseball does not like gambling, just as Pete Rose. But I think that baseball, that if baseball is going to say that one offense concerning gambling will get you banned from baseball forever, then there should be a harsher punishment for those 
there should be harsher punishments for for those looking to get an unfair advantage by using PEDs. I don't think that using PEDs is just as bad as gambling in baseball, but it's still tampering with the game. And now that there seems to be more players using PEDs this season, the MLB might need to consider harsher penalties. Go get it, Say hey, Willie, go get it. What do you mean, go get it? Man, that ball's way in left field. I don't care what field is in. Willie plays all field. Every time we come to the game, you're talking about Willie plays all the field. That's right. He plays. Let's call Willie and ask him. Call him. Okay, hey, Willie. Yes. Are you Willie Mays? Yes. Whose ball was that? Why was it? In left field. Well, that's Irving's ball. I told you that. You... Every time we come to the game, we got to talk about it. The next time I'm going to sit in the grandstand. Say I... hey, fellas. What's your name? Say who? Say Willie. Say hey. Say who? Swinging at the plate. Say hey. Say who? Say Willie. That giant kid is great. All right, everybody. That's all we have for this week. Don't forget to stop by our site at groundrulertriple.com. That's groundrulertriple.com. When you get there, please subscribe subscribe, and become a GRT MVP. It's for free. Also, you can subscribe to our podcast on uh, Ground Rule Triple Radio by looking us up on iTunes and Google Play Music. That's it for this podcast, everyone. We'll see you next time when we tackle a new topic. All right, we're out. Like an aeroplane, his cap flies off when it passes third, and he heads home like an eagle bird. Say hey, say who? Say Willie, say hey, say who? Swinging at the plate, say hey, say who? Say Willie, that giant kid is great. Yes, he covers center like he had jet shoes. The other batters get the Willie blues. Anything hit his way is out. Man, it just don't pay those guys to clout. Say hey, say who? Say Willie, say hey, say who? Swinging at the plate, say hey, say who? Say Willie, that giant kid is great.